Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. In the spring, we did a series, for those of you who are not here, from the first part of the book of Acts, and we looked at what was happening as this group of people, Jews and Gentiles, came to know the good news of Jesus, and they started becoming the church, this fellowship, this new thing that God was doing, and we watched how they were becoming that, how they were marked as a community through that new change that was happening. And now this fall, we're in the second half of the book of Acts, and we're looking at what does it look like now that we are being the Missio Dei, the mission of God. Now we gotta live this thing out as fellowship. And we've been looking at some different topics as they're finding out what it looks like when the rubber hits the road on being this new fellowship, this new identity that they're living into. And things can get messy sometimes in real life together. We talk about what it looks like when they had to continue to persist in the face of opposition. We talked about what does it look like when the church disagrees? Because sometimes we do. And we have to live through that in fellowship. And we see that in the book of Acts. We talked about the temptation to worship false gods and how we translate that into our culture today. And we still face some of these same things. And then we also talked about what it looks like when this way of Jesus disrupts local culture and what it looks like to be disruptive in the best way to allow that spiritual energy to be coming as this new way of Jesus is is breaking in to the world around us. And today, what we're going to talk about is this complicated moment as the fellowship, as the community, a complicated moment of discerning the Holy Spirit in community. What does it look like to discern what the Holy Spirit is doing and saying to the local church? Now, we've known all through the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit's role is very clear and completely trusted and accepted in the life of this fellowship. I won't read all of these scriptures. I just am going to kind of go through them quickly, but they'll be on the screen so you can see just the, um, the awareness and the acceptance of this active role of this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, as active role in the church, uh, leading all over the place in Luke's account. Um, we see that when uh, Peter... Peter defended what was happening with uh, the moment that he was sent to the Gentile Cornelius's home, which was really radical for him. And he says that the Holy Spirit was the active one who fell on them just like he is to us. That's how uh, Peter described it. It wasn't like I thought it was a good idea. It was the Holy Spirit did this thing. I'm just testifying to it. So we see it there. We see the Holy Spirit's the one who set apart Paul and Barnabas for a special missionary journey. And the community of faith trusted that that was the Holy Spirit picking them for this work ahead of them. We knew that the Holy Spirit inspired the decision of the Jerusalem Council. We read that active role in that moment of disagreement in the church and they feel like it's good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's active participation. We're relying on the work of the Spirit all through this book. But then really specifically, we've talked through several of Paul's missionary journeys and where he was going, and we see the Holy Spirit actively engaged in the decisions on where it is that this missionary journey took them. So we see in uh, 16.6, the Holy Spirit prevented them from doing something that they had thought they were going to do. In 1921, they were compelled by the Spirit to go to a certain location. What I'm trying to get at here is not just inundating you with one-off verses, but showing you this is, we are trusting the voice of the Spirit. The active participation is common and understood in the life of this fellowship together. So then we start to get mixed messages though, right? 
in this section of scripture, it seems like there's a disagreement or something. Something's going different on how the Holy Spirit and the community are discerning what Paul should do next. So just prior to our reading in Acts 20, 22 to 24, Paul says, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. And so he's saying, I, I, I've been told by the Spirit, this is what I believe I'm supposed to do. And then we look a little further forward, uh, we see that he kneels down and they pray over him and they cry and they embrace him because they're not going to see him again. And so there's community angst around what the Spirit seems to be saying. So within our reading then that Joy read uh, in 21.4, we see we went ashore and found local believers and stayed with them a week. And they prophesied through the Holy Spirit. Again, this is why this feels a little confusing. They prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. Well, hold up. That hasn't been how this Holy Spirit plotline has been going so far in this book. We haven't had disagreement in discerning the will of the Spirit yet. So we move on from there. We hear, um, we don't know the details from the prophesying daughters, but we know that they were accepted the community of having this gift of prophecy. And then we go to Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy. And the, um, the prophecy, he took this action. Okay, we see this in the Old Testament sometimes. He takes the belt and he makes an action that's to signify something. And so th this was uh, a move of a prophet to do something like this and says, the Holy Spirit declares, this is how it's gonna be with you too, Paul. And he, now mind you, he has the gift of prophecy. And so then the community, he says this, and then the community begs Paul not to go. So what's going on here that we seem to have a discrepancy in how the community is engaging with discerning the Holy Spirit? So I'm going to take a pause here for a minute because I'm not sure that all of us, I don't want to assume that all of us have really have an understanding of how this gift of prophecy, prophesying the will of God through the Holy Spirit, how this gift of prophecy, um, we, we don't always have a lot of examples of that. So I'm going to tell you guys a story, uh, not to bring attention to the story, but to just give you a, hey, this is something that really does happen still today. This is not a story that we push into the, Old, or into the New Testament and say, that was really cool how the Holy Spirit did that then, but we can forget that the Holy Spirit still acts this way now. So I want to tell you a story of a prophetic word that happened not only to me, but to Todd, one of our deacons and uh, tech gurus that I was talking about earlier. I got his permission to share the story. The first half of the story, however, it has to do with Todd. You'll have to ask him directly. I don't, I don't have their verbatim story. But Todd and I used to work together with a woman named Chevelle who had the gift of prophecy. A slight side note. The Holy Spirit can give gifts in any moment to anyone for the building up of the church. So often, the gift of prophecy in our times now is what we would call a manifestational gift, meaning the moment needs it, somebody has the gift of a prophetic word, and that is that moment, not necessarily labeled a prophet for all time, right? But sometimes, sometimes, by God's grace, somebody just seems to swim in that stream extra well. Some people swim in the stream of hospitality extra well. Some mercy, some prophecy. Um, this woman, Chevelle, was known in her church community, we knew that, as somebody who swam in the stream of prophecy frequently by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a gift that was upon her. So Todd goes first, right? Chevelle tells Todd, 
God's going to give you a car. Again, this isn't verbatim. Ask him. This isn't like a name it and claim it thing, right? This is not the point of the story. But Todd responded, like, I can't afford a car. And she said, I'm just telling you, God's going to give you a car and it won't be a financial burden. Comes to pass, somebody comes up to Todd and says, I just really feel like God's telling me that I should give you the car instead of like trading it in. I just, I don't know. I think you should have it. So the point of this story, the two people did not know each other, the car giver and Chevelle, they were not in the same circle. It was just that when that moment happened, again, not name it and claim it, but when Todd then hurt, I mean, if your friend gave you car keys, wouldn't you kind of be like, I don't think that that's how this works in this call. Like, I should pay you? Do I, like, owe you dinner for life? Like, I don't understand. But because the prophetic word had come that this was going to happen, Todd knew that this was God's will. This was God's provision through a friend. And so he could feel free to say, like, I, I guess God told me this was coming. This is a gift from God. So the story wasn't about Chevelle's amazing ability. The story was a, like a, a forerunner to say, this is truly God working through this gift, right? Now, fast forward. I know this story. Todd and I are friends. And we're like, praise God. That's really cool when that happens. I go down to work one day with my cup of coffee. And Chevelle comes up to me. And she says, I have a dream last night. And I was like, watch out, right? I have a lot of dreams, you guys. I, I don't have prophetic dreams. Uh, that's never happened. It's just not my story. But somehow, I've talked to people who do have prophetic dreams. Somehow they know the difference between when it's just one of those weird, my brain's working on something, versus a prophetic dream. And that's beautiful. I trust Chevelle knows. So I'm sitting there with my coffee, and she says, I had a prophetic dream about you. And I was, like, braced for it, right? And she says, you're going to have a son. And I was like... Okay, that just hit me with all kinds of maternal baggage stuff. And I was not ready for that with this cup of coffee. And I said, Chevelle, I don't know what to tell you, like, not TMI or anything, but like that ship had sailed. And so I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Like that can't, that can't happen. But that was really like stirred up a lot of emotion in me, still all the same. And she just looked at me and she said, Melissa, I don't know what to tell you. I just want you to know you're going to have a son. Don't tell me what's possible or not all right, fast forward, I'm all like stirred up with maternal baggage at this point, but I don't know how this is going to come to pass, but I can't just set it aside because she was already proven to swim in the stream of prophecy, that word carried weight. Well, fast forward a little while, we had been, again, this isn't about the story here, but I have a stepson, he's 19 years old, and he had, for logistical reasons outside of our story today, had basically been all but gone from our lives for a little over a year. It was devastating, really hard time. A couple weeks, maybe a month after she told me that, I was thinking we needed to figure out where the crib was. I don't remember where our blankets were. Like, that was like the thing in my brain. Like, a month or so later, the courts take my stepson and put him 100% full time in our home. I wasn't gonna have a baby son, I was gonna have a sixth grader. And I had no idea. And all of a sudden, it was like I was scrambling. We needed, first of all, to like stock the fridge differently, right? And I had to, we needed to get him into school. We needed to get him tutoring. We needed to find him a new doctor. We needed all this stuff. We're scrambling in our brains. And I was like, what is going on? And then I remembered Chevelle's word. And the thing that the prophetic word does is it says, God already knew. Don't freak out. This is God's path. The tutor will come. 
The groceries will come. Like, you, it's okay. Get ready because this is happening. But God knew, so you don't need to think that this is mayhem or unexpected. Does that make sense? So like a prophetic word doesn't always look like what we thought. I didn't need to get a crib. I needed to stock the fridge big time. But the true word came to pass. And that's the beauty of a prophetic word. Okay, I paused with that story because I don't know that we always have a lot of experience with a prophetic word like that. But what that prophetic word is doing is it's preparing you to know God's gone ahead of you and is not surprised by what is happening in this moment. The reason I bring up Chevelle, though, in those two stories is that when someone who's affirmed by the community is having this gift of prophecy, when they speak, it has weight because they already have demonstrated that they have that gift. So when somebody says in our story here, like, you shouldn't go, you're going to be bound, and they have a trusted gift of prophecy, like, I just want us to feel the weight of that, like, you're going to have a son I gotta pay attention. I don't know how that's gonna happen. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you just feel the weight of these words. This isn't like, I don't know that this is a good idea. That's not really a good time of year to visit Jerusalem. It's not that. It's a prophetic word and it has a different weight to it because of the credibility. And so, with that credibility, we look at this moment of people prophesying over Paul. They have an established gift of prophecy. The Holy Spirit tells us, this is not my own thought, the Holy Spirit tells us this is gonna happen. And then the community in response to that begs Paul not to go. Now, for some of you, the whole thing with the maps lately probably feels like a classroom, but I just wanna remind us that for some people, visual people, this helps us to get into the story. So we see this moment, so go up to the top left. That's where the first group of people are like, no, 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 don't go. And we have this first moment that Paul knows he's gonna face suffering, and they all are really sad they're not gonna see him again, but he goes anyway, and then he goes on the long uh, boat ride, and then he goes to this next plate tire down here. That's a prophetic word. That's a community saying, wait, don't do this, don't do this. He keeps going. Acts 21, 11, again. Now this moment here with these uh, daughters and then this one gentleman saying this is going to happen. And he keeps going. I want you to feel the weight of that knowledge being reaffirmed at every stop. But you keep moving forward one at a time. So when it was clear we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. One of the observations I make in this text, again, is the we. Luke is with him. Like, we couldn't persuade him, and Luke still has to pack his bags and go. How would that feel? This whole community is saying, hold on, this is going to be awful, but Luke's still got to pack his bags. I'm like, well, I guess we're still going. And he packs his bag, and he goes on. Remember, the whole group is here. These are real people living this story. So what we want to pause and ask about is, how does this work in our fellowship life together? If there's disagreement like this, if we're trusting in the Holy Spirit, this word has been spoken, community is responding, and they still can't come to agreement. Remember a couple weeks ago I told you in my family that we had the concept of keywords. Our kids know which keywords to use for me to get me to do something, you know, family adventure, cozy, vanilla latte, and I'm a sucker, I'll go. The keywords in Acts are all about this, right? Community, Holy Spirit guiding and directing us. These are keywords and acts. It's all happening and yet they keep going. So what does this say about communal discernment? Is Paul going rogue? That's the question that comes to my mind here. Is 
Paul going rogue against the will of a community? And if so, what does that mean? But I think that what we need to see is go a little bit deeper here. There's something really important in community discernment when we are looking at the word from the Lord, just coming by way of the Holy Spirit, versus direction from God. Here is what I mean. The two can get a little bit muddy sometimes. But what has God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what has God told Paul? Way back when Paul was first called on the road to Damascus, God told Ananias, the man who was told to pray over Paul, and he was like, God, do you even know who this guy is? He's like a super bad guy to us. And God says to Ananias, like, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's Acts 9, 16. So God says to Ananias, yeah, I'm going to let him know. It's okay. Pray over him. He's going to be on our team now, and I'll let him know. This will not be a surprise to him. And then he's being imprisoned. He's being chased out of towns. And Jesus says in a vision to Paul, don't be afraid. Keep going. Don't be silent. That's in uh, chapter 18, verse 9. Keep going despite this. This is going to keep happening. So Paul's been given the knowledge that this is what his path will look like. And then in 2022, he knows what trouble is ahead, but feels bound by the Holy Spirit to continue on to Jerusalem. So what about this Agabus prophecy? You'll be bound by Jewish leaders and handed over to the Gentiles. Yes, this is absolutely in keeping with what the Holy Spirit and God has been telling Paul all along. There's not a disagreement there. The disagreement happens with what the community thinks to do about that. You notice in that prophecy, the Holy Spirit didn't say, don't go. The Holy Spirit said, here's what's going to go down next. And the community said, oh, I don't like that. I don't think you should go. But the word from God has not been different than the word that Paul has been receiving from the Lord throughout all of the book of Acts. The other group that prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul shouldn't go, I think that one of the things that we see is that they, they've seen that there will be danger to come. So he, they're taking the message of danger to come and they're taking the next step. And I don't think they're bad for this, right? This is totally human. They're taking the next step and they're discerning what to do with that information. So Paul's friends differ not about what will happen, but what he should do about what his path will be like in the future. So it's not the Holy Spirit giving contradicting messages. It's the community trying to decide, what do we think with the message we've seen? And the community says, we don't want you to go, which I understand, but that's different than God's will. So what we're really looking at, and what I wanna dive into for us is knowing what will happen and what to do about that are two different things. And as a community, it's really important to look at this moment and to learn from them and together as us to say, like, what's the difference between the word and the direction? You know, the same thing like the word, you're going to have a son. Do I need to get the crib or stock the fridge? I don't know yet. I only have the word so far. So that's the difference of what we're looking at here. So really briefly about uh, prophets again, within Luke, both his gospel and the book of Acts, remember he's the author of both. We see the role of prophets in in Luke's gospel in a couple different places, or I'm sorry, in his two writings. But um, before that, we have to consider the Old Testament role, role of the prophet, just really quickly, so we know. In the Old Testament, remember the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out on everybody, and so the, uh, prophet in the Old Testament was somebody who was given a special anointing by God to be a mouthpiece for God of something that needed to be delivered to the people. 
a word, a prophetic word. Sometimes somebody operated in that capacity for a long time. Sometimes it could be for a shorter time. But the prophet was seen as somebody who had a word from God to deliver it. Now, in the New Testament, we know that this moment has come where the Holy Spirit has fallen on everybody and everybody at any time who has the Holy Spirit of God could prophesy for the building up of the church. And so we read that in Acts 2. Remember, everybody's like, what is going on? Those people are drunk. They literally say drunk. I didn't make that up. They say, I think that they're drunk. And they said, no, 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 guys, we're not drunk. Two, starting in 16. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. This is really different from Old Testament prophecy when somebody had anoint, was anointed for a purpose. But now everybody's going to be anointed with the Holy Spirit who believes that Jesus is Lord. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That will happen. It's just going to happen. This is going to be a new way of living together. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In that, those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So the point of bringing this up is like we're living in this new place where this word from the Lord can come from anyone in the fellowship of believers. And now the fellowship of believers needs to think, how do we want to engage with this? So now in the New Testament, let's look at Luke's two different works. Luke uh, proclaims several people as operating as prophets. Uh, Zechariah in the beginning of his gospel. John the Baptist was named a prophet by Luke um, and the community. Agabus, who we just heard from, the, the four daughters, they operated often in the prophetic, but also we see throughout his work that prophets are recognized as church leaders, uh, along with teachers. In Acts 13 and 15, we see this again and again. These were tr this was a trusted way that God led God's people was through this gift of prophecy. So that's Luke's understanding. Now we look elsewhere, super quick, in Paul's writing. What does Paul understand to be true of this gift of prophecy? And in 1 Corinthians 14, we see that Paul would describe this as a gift built for strengthening, encouraging, comforting, and instructing congregations in public worship. I'm not sure that we find this as much of an assumption that Holy Spirit We'll be operating in our midst in this way. This was believed and assumed in this culture. But so, again, what's happening here? Because the community is saying something different in discerning what the Spirit is saying. But we can see here that when the Holy Spirit is guiding, it doesn't mean that all your doubts disappear. It doesn't mean that you don't have question marks on what still will happen. It doesn't mean that you know exactly what to do next. So one commentator, um, Usto Gonzalez, says this, the spirit must not be taken as a crutch on which to rest and thus avoid making difficult decisions. In Acts, the spirit does not tell Paul exactly what he has to do and then confirm it through others. On the contrary, the spirit impels Paul to go to Jerusalem, but then also uses other people to warn him of the price of going there. But the final decision is still in Paul's hands. That's really important when we talk about what it looks like as the people of God to be in God's will. We're trying to discern where the Spirit might be leading us in our lives, in our workplaces, in whatever else, right? It does not mean to be in line with the, the will of God does not necessarily mean that the decision goes out of our hands. The decision still is in Paul's hands. So we can't hide behind the Spirit and say, well, the Spirit told me to do it. 
You know, we need this community discernment that's really important, but we also can't hide behind a lack of direction and not do anything. This is a really interesting tension that we as the church need to, to lean into. So sometimes I think we can idealize the work of the Spirit in Acts and in the New Testament. Like, well, the Spirit was telling them where to go and how to do it, and then they just did it, and so they were following along. No, there's so much free will in participation with the Holy Spirit. That's what we see. We don't see them always knowing exactly what to do because God was guiding every step. So when we're thinking about which actions to take, there will be moments of contradictory opinions within the community of the church. But if Paul had listened to the contradictory voices, he wouldn't have gone on to Jerusalem. But he knew throughout all of his journey that this was part of his path, his path was going to include this suffering. So he was not surprised. It wasn't that it would be avoided. It was that when he was suffering in Jerusalem, he could say, well, I'm in the will of God still. I am not surprised. God told me this would happen and I'm still walking in that will. Like the stories with Chevelle, right? I can know that this is not, God is not surprised right now, even if I'm not having a great time, but I knew this was coming. He warned me so I could become prepared in my heart for what was ahead. And so what I want to say for us in community today, number one, it just really was on my heart that like, I don't know that we're always expectant, that we always believe that a word will come. Or maybe sometimes we're looking for a word because what we really want is a map to exactly the next steps. Should I apply for that job? Should I apply for that one? I'm going to wait and see. Listen, it's really good to seek after the will of God for sure. But we also have to be willing to engage with that with our own free will and our own decision making. So I had a couple of thoughts that I wanted to share because I don't know that we're expectant on the word of the Holy Spirit. And so I would like us to grow in expectancy that the Holy Spirit would share a word with one of us and we get to engage with that. So a couple of thoughts as we think about what does that even look like? Number one, I just have to give this disclaimer. A word from the Holy Spirit will never be contradictory to what we already know about God through Jesus's teaching, through the word of God, or through God's proven character. That's our first test, our most important test. Let us always put a word to that test in community. God will never go against God's self. Okay, that was the first one. That was a quick, but that's really important. But here's some other observations for us as we learn to engage with prophetic words. First of all, or second of all, I guess, God through the Holy Spirit rarely gives step-by-step instructions. It's just not the way it usually goes. And that's okay, you guys. It's really important. So if we're learning to listen for a word, for an image, for a sense from the Holy Spirit, it's okay if it's not all the way unpacked in a perfect package before we as a community try to figure out how to engage, bring our creativity to that, um, bring our active participation. I love this verse, Isaiah 30, 21, except I don't have it written down, so this is my paraphrase, but it's close. Whether you turn to the right or the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is my way, walk in it. Do you know why I love that verse so much? It suggests action. It's not saying, when you're considering, my voice will tell you. It's like if you turn to the right or you go to the left, you'll hear. There's action. There's involvement still there. And the voice of the Spirit will help to discern your path as you go. And that's a really important thing. We get to engage before the whole path is all laid out for us. It doesn't work that way. So sometimes God can, through the Holy Spirit, tell us what to do. But more often, it's an acknowledgement of what's to come. And we get to act in participation with our creativity, with our ideas. We get to engage with what we know so far. So that was number two. 
Number three, I think it's important as we learn how to engage with the words from the Holy Spirit that we do it with the right posture. And what I mean by that is that it's really good to hold a word from the Holy Spirit out for discernment with open hands. In other words, I do not believe it is in um, good common practice to take a word and like give it to someone, you know, and just like, you know, that, that, that posture. I've heard of people before who were kind of like, well, you know, my pastor told me to go to Africa. Well, okay, hold up. Like, that might be, like, I really feel like here's something for you. Like, you might have a missionary thing. You can do that. But, like, if somebody's telling you what to do and using the name of the Holy Spirit, like, I just, I have a little, like, caution thing for that. I just think we need to be careful. When somebody has given me a word before, they've hold, held it to me open-handedly. And so I just, I had this image, and, and I don't know if this makes sense to you. And sometimes it did. And I've had other ones that, like, no, I still... I don't know, they, but that's okay because it was held open-handed and sometimes we might be wrong and that's okay. But you did, that posture of open-handedness is really, um, is really important. And it also, be like, here's what I heard, here's what I saw, but not so much here's what you should do. Does that make sense? We need to be cautious that we, we hand this over as like, here's what I see, but not, and then we can process together what to do with it, but don't, we take that next step and say, and the Holy Spirit said you should not go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit didn't say that. Holy Spirit said this is going to be hard, and I really don't want you to go, Paul. Like, that's what, that's what we need to hold this posture, uh, with engaging with the words of the Holy Spirit. And then number four, I, I give you this. Um, it, it's linked to that. Try to separate the word from the interpretation. Because that beautiful work of interpreting is the part that we get to do in community. And it's okay that we, we just need to be clear and articulate in which one we have. Like, I have a word for you. I actually, I had an example once with a friend. I was, uh, we were in the upper room praying uh, before service one time, and I had this image of her dancing, and she's not a dancer. Um, I have no idea, I've never seen her dance, at least. I had no idea where the image came from, but I told her, I said, you know, I don't know what this means, but I just had an image of you dancing. I, I don't know, maybe like something about freedom. And she said, no, I I have to figure out what that means, but, but God, literally in my prayer time yesterday, invited me to dance. And I, so like I, thought, I told her what I thought it was, and she was like, nope, it's not that. I was like, okay, but I give you the image, and then we can interpret it. And she had another path, and God was using that to confirm something else in her. And so I use that as a, just an example of it would be wrong if I said, God's calling you to freedom. Wait, I took a step there that wasn't mine to take. Does that make sense? So anyway, that's my fourth point. Like, just make sure we get to separate the word or image or sense from the interpretation. So Paul goes to Jerusalem and he encounters suffering and he isn't shocked. Uh, it would be like when Todd was handed the car keys or when suddenly the court said, you've got a, a, a sixth grade son. I was, we, we were like, whoa, that's cool. But the glory goes to God, not to the prophet. That's one thing. But it was also to let us know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised by what's happening. It's a confirmation of what's coming. And so for Paul, a really quick word on suffering, just because I have to bring this up. Um, Paul isn't going after the suffering. He's not all excited for it. There's, I was reading this great book uh, by Paula Gooder. It's a theology on the body and why our body matters. Highly recommend it. Anyway, I like the way she says this. She said, it's easy to take Paul's language wrong way, like he's glorifying the suffering in a macho, bring it on kind of way. But this doesn't seem to me what, to capture what Paul's talking about. This was not a cost he relished, but one he was prepared to bear. 
God's been warning him, right? So in, in our willingness to go along and suffer, first of all, I note this, is suffering for the good news, for the news of Jesus to be spread, not just suffering for suffering's sake, right? We're talking specifically about when you suffer because you are walking in the will of God, that, that you don't need to be uh, surprised by this, but you, we see in Paul, he's living into this in a way that he remembers that like beyond death even, there's resurrected glory. There is infinite love beyond what any mere human could do to Paul as he's living out the way of Jesus. Victory beyond death and suffering because of Jesus. And so anyway, I just want to be a little bit clear about why he's walking into suffering. This is not to say, hey, if you see suffering, like go for it. That's not what's happening here. There was a specific reason behind it. So anyway, what does this mean for us? Just briefly, and then we're gonna call, come to a time of response. But how do we as a community engage with this? I think that, um, first of all, I want us to be expectant. I don't know how else to say that. I want us to be asking for words and images and be expectant that this is a way that the Holy Spirit still guides Christ's church today. If Jesus is the head of this church, which we declare Jesus is the head of this church, then the way that Jesus leads his church is through the Holy Spirit engaging with the people to follow in the leadership of Christ Jesus. That's really important. So I would love for us to grow in our expectancy. But then with those things we were talking about, like learn how to engage with this together. An example recently in our lives is that we believe in faith that God has called us to be a people of prayer. And it's been hard and we don't really see all the ways that that's happening yet, but that's the word. And I'm trusting that word. Now we all get to roll up our sleeves and be a little creative on what that looks like. Hey, let's redecorate the upper room. Hey, let's restart prayer response. Let's try this. Let's try that. Because God's spoken the word. Now to how do we collectively engage with it while we're waiting with that promise for that promise to come to pass? And so I think that we learn how to separate the word from our interpretation and allow our free will and our creativity to get ignited. And that's what I want to just have us think about in this, in this moment, in this passage today. Like how beautiful that God does not give us every step of direction. How beautiful that God designed us with free will and creativity. How beautiful that we are not operating like puppets on strings with every step put out before us, but instead there could be a call. There could be a sense of something ahead. And we as participants, as a fellowship can say, here's the word. Church, how do we, how do we have fun? Like being creative and living into that with our free will and see what it looks like to participate with the triune God instead of just awaiting step-by-step instructions. There's a beauty to this passage, even when the community disagrees on what to do, or what should happen next, there still is beauty. Because the thing that comes at the end of this word is that the testimony of God's presence and faithfulness goes on. Nobody was surprised when Paul encountered that suffering. They didn't think, oh no, God's abandoned us. Far from it. And Paul's journey goes on beyond Jerusalem too, by the way. He goes on to Rome. So I bring that up because like the, 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 the word of God is beautiful and rich. And I want us to grow in expectancy and creativity to engage with what those words are for each other and with each other as the fellowship of believers. So, okay, um, here's what we're gonna do. First, I'm gonna pray, because I'm feeling a little scatterbrained right now. Um, I'm just being honest. So I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna go through a couple different ways that we respond together in fellowship. So allow me to pray first. Jesus, um, I 
thank you that you are the head of this church. I can't believe that we get the honor of not just being your people, but being like active and engaged through the Holy Spirit with what you're doing. And I just, I'm so honored by that fact. I'm in awe of that fact. Stories of how you speak to your people and then still leave room for our freedom and participation. Like they're beautiful, God. And I just, I boldly ask for more. I ask that our hearts would be expectant of more of you. I ask that we would seek after Uh, words and images and senses for what it is that you're doing, where you're taking us, where you're calling us to go deeper and deeper into the things of you. God, let us be people formed by you as we seek after the way of your cross, um, the way of your resurrection, all of it, God. Help us to seek after you and Holy Spirit, just ignite this creativity and this uh, presence awareness in our midst as we gather in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.